You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adventures in Forgotten Realms crash course here on Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, are you ready to crunch some numbers on Adventures in the Forgotten Realms? I sure am, Ben. I don't think the phrase crash course has ever felt so apt in terms of our preparation <laughs> for this episode. So we're recording on a Wednesday morning. So the morning that this episode is going to come out, we're going to edit it and get it out to you as soon as possible. We usually try and get stuff out on Monday, but the release schedule for these previews has been all weird and wonky. We only have two days between the full spoiler dropping and the release of the set on Arena and Magic Online. And uh, we're trying to get all these stats out to you as quick as possible. But that was tough, Ben. We were really, really crunching through our show notes this morning. Pumping out that content. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, so we are going to be doing our Crash Course episode. If you're joining us for the first time, we do uh, release season a little differently here on Lords of Limited. We won't be doing a full card-by-card card set review, though we have graded all the cards individually in a spreadsheet that will be available to you where you download the episode. Beyond that, we're going to be doing as much big-picture stuff as we possibly can, looking at uh, the mechanics in the set, looking at some stats in terms of how removal lines up against the creatures, uh, sweepers, incidental life gain, fixing, all that good stuff. Then we'll look at our disagreements. So Ben and I graded each card, as I said, and we'll look at where we had at least two or more gradation differences. So if Ben gave something a C plus, I gave it a C minus, as I am a negative Nancy in my grading uh, in uh, these cards. It's mostly going to be me lower than Ben, but we've got a lot of cards to look at there. And then we'll look at our top three commons and top two uncommons for each color. So a lot to get to and some housekeeping. So first things first. Talk about the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks go to get back to the show if they so choose. I'm not going to talk very much about it. You know that if you give back to the show, you get access to the Discord, which is the place to be at the start of each new set. We say that every time a new set releases, it is a fantastic resource, the trophy channel to see what's working. Uh, look at what's the build, what's the play, what's the pick, draft with me, a lot of interactive stuff in the Discord, a fantastic resource out there, and then a lot of other stuff as you go up the reward tiers on Patreon. So uh, definitely check that out. And of course, each and every week, we're going to shout out our new patrons this week we are welcoming anthony jeffrey landon matt joakim matthew david aaron nick west christopher invictus scapeghost owen tim daniel and sam thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough those folks know what's up they're getting in at the start of a new set and if you're on the fence what are you waiting for dive on in and join the discord Boom. Show is also brought to you in part now by CFB, Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. What you need right now is Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. So if you're going to get some sealed product, Channel Fireball is the place to go. And speaking of, Channel Fireball is hosting an Adventures in Forgotten Realms, the official Wizards pre-release party or like digital release party. 
And that's going to be not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, July 16th, 17th, and 18th. Both Ethan and I are participating. I'm on Team Rogue. I'm on Team Clerics. So opposite teams yet again. So if you want to be on the winning team, join Team Rogue. <laughs> and as part of that, we'll be jamming games on Spell Table. Like there's a Discord that you join. It's really simple. And basically, you just get six packs or a pre-release kit from your local game store or however you want to get them. And then join this Discord. And then you can queue up in games. It's super easy. You just have to set up a spell table thing. And it's really fun. You play with people all the way around the world. I played with people from other countries last time. It was a really cool event. Super fun. Yeah. Putting the gathering back in Magic the Gathering, creating that community, that social aspect that I think sort of miss just playing on Arena or Magic Online day in and day out. For sure. And if you're getting any of that Adventures in Forgotten Realm product over at Channel Fireball, please use code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. And we would be remiss if we did not say we are hashtag sponsored for such an event. Absolutely. For shame. Gabby, please don't <laughs> fire me. <laughs> and the last thing we want to do here is, Ben, you know, I've got uh, I got a cup of coffee in front of me here in my brand new fancy Lords of Limited mug, courtesy of Tee Public. Nice. Yeah, so I got my mug and I got my light hoodie uh, last week. They, they ship pretty fast. So folks don't know, we've now partnered with Tee Public to get some merch out there. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, cell phone cases, a lot of really cool stuff over there, stickers, pins. Um, so if you're interested in any Lords of Limited merch, head on over to our website, lordsoflimited.com. There's a button at the top that says merch. Click on that. It'll take you over to our link at Tee Public, and you can uh, you know browse and purchase to your heart's content. We would highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. I, my stuff came in as well, and I'm a big fan my like three quarter length baseball tee. Yeah, I got to get one of those. I think I'm, I'm feeling a little jealous about that. All right. Uh, let's dive in here, Ben. We've got a lot to cover even more than usual because we didn't really get an episode to like talk about the mechanics as we usually do. So why don't we start there and talk about what is in store for folks in terms of new and maybe returning mechanics in Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Yeah, so first main new mechanic, and this is Dungeons and Dragons. So where would we be without dungeons? So there are three dungeons um, as part of the set, and everyone's going to have access to all three dungeons without drafting them. They just exist in your sideboard. So you don't need to spend picks on them or anything like that. You just have, always have options. And you'll start a dungeon the first time a card tells you to venture. So there are spells that tell you to venture. There are creatures that tell you to venture when they enter the battlefield, some that when they do damage. But so that's the word that tells you, okay, I get to pick one of these three dungeons. And so you have three options to choose from. The first is the Lost Mine of Fandelver. That one's pretty short. There's like four tiers to the dungeon before you complete it. So you'd have to venture four times before completing it. And it's a fairly flexible dungeon, I think, out of the four of them. You know, there's options for, you know, if you want to get aggressive, there's options if you're trying to catch up, that sort of thing. Next choice would be Tomb of Annihilation. And it is the shortest, I think, you know, either four tiers like the Lost Mine of Fandelver, or if you really want to get aggressive, you can do it in three ventures. Um, and it's definitely the most aggressive dungeon. So so, you know, if you're an aggro venture deck, you might want to consider Tomb of Annihilation. And then the third and final dungeon is called Dungeon of the Mad Mage. It's much longer than the other two. So it's got seven levels as opposed to four. So you'd have to venture seven different times to complete the Dungeon of the Mad Mages. But it's a bigger reward than the other two when you get to the end of the dungeon as well. So and then another thing that's worth noting is once you start a dungeon, you can't be in multiple dungeons at the same time. So if you start in the Lost Mine of Fandelver, you got to venture four times and finish the Lost Mine of Fandelver before you go on to another dungeon. And that another dungeon could be returning to Lost Mine, right? You can go back to dungeons you've completed. 
Absolutely, yeah. The next thing we've got going on here is flavor words. And as best of one Bob here, I'm excited to get to talk about these. Um, So this is not really a mechanic, but it is something that comes up a lot. And it's quite flavorful in terms of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I'm not a D&D player myself, but I do recognize how cool and flavorful this is. So for example, you've got a card called Plundering Barbarian, which is two and a red for a 2-2 at common. And when it enters the battlefield, you choose one. And these are all going to have modes, either choose choose one of two or three. Uh, This one has two options. You can either smash the chest which is destroy target artifact, or you can pry it open to create a treasure token. So there's a lot of modality in this set. And I think that's going to, you know, I think that's a nod towards best of one, of course. Um, But I think also just gives you a lot of good options in terms of, I mean, this card specifically, there's an equipment theme in the format. So having option to a main deck card that destroys an artifact is actually quite good. And then when you don't have a target, well, getting a treasure isn't bad either, because there's, you know, synergies there as well. For sure. Next mechanic up is cards that tell you to roll a d20. And if you're not familiar with the Dungeons & Dragons dice, uh, a d20 is just a 20-sided die, but it's different in that it's not a spin down. So the numbers are laid out differently on the dice. I don't actually own a d20, so I'm not sure what it actually is, but they're more (laughs) evenly spread out, right? So that it's theoretically you can't like, you know, try to roll to a higher number on the dice or something if you practiced your dice rolling. And in the pre-release kits, they're going to come with an actual d20 and not a spin down and then if you're digital like you and i are i mean of course arena will take care of it for you but um so on these cards where you're instructed to roll a d20 there's going to be a results table to show you what happens with each roll and most of the cards on that table have three different options like if you low roll and you hit a one to a nine you get a fine effect but not great and then if you roll 10 to 19 you generally get a better effect and then if you hit 20, which is in Dungeons and Dragons, a critical hit, a crit, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And then uh, there's also natural D20s, right? Where you don't like have any modifiers to your dice or a nat, a nat 20. I think you, you're the, losing the me, Dungeons buddy. And you're Dragons losing me. <laughs> Am I losing you? I don't yeah. know. I don't Dungeons and Dragons at all. But my brothers do. Uh, but anyway, if you hit a 20, like sometimes you get a super awesome bonus on a card. So it, it's very clear on the cards what to do with the result of each roll. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the last new mechanic here is class enchantments. Uh, so there are 12 new enchantments with the subtype class, either at uncommon or rare. And there's, they sort of look like sagas, but they're not. They're they're more level up enchantments. If you played back in, uh, what was that, World Wake, I think is where level up first was introduced. You got me. <laughs> so uh, they're level up enchantments for the cost of mana at sorcery speed. And the abilities stack. So there's usually three tiers. But as you level up, you don't lose the benefits that you got from the first level or the second level. Um, but you cannot skip from one to three. You have to go from one to two to three. So for example, we've got wizard class, which is a single blue for an uncommon enchantment. Uh, the first level is you have no maximum hand size. So not very good. But then for two and a blue, you go up to level two. And when you go up to level two, you draw two cards. So basically paying for a slightly more expensive divination in installments. And then for four and a blue, you can get to level three. And that says whenever you you draw a card, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. So pretty, pretty nice benefit there um, once you get up to the five mana uh, level three. Yeah, these class enchantments are sweet. Yeah, very, very exciting. And I think, you know, the amount of, as, as we'll get to in a little bit, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but, you know, we've got these class enchantments, which are quite powerful. We've got a lot of equipment, which is quite powerful. And I'm wondering, we've got quite a, a number of modality spells that can blow up artifacts or enchantments. And I'm just wondering how main deckable those might end up being. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of good artifacts and enchantments running around. 
All right, let's get to the stats, baby. So we're going to look at how uh, removal lines up against uh, creatures in the format. So to start off, we'll talk about just average CMC of removal versus creatures. So the average removal CMC is 2.74. And I was a little strict on my uh, classification of removal this time around, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Uh, and the average creature CMC is, oh, oh my gosh, Ben. Swear jar, MV baby, mana value. No, CMC is <laughs> out. Uh, quarter in the swear jar for me. So average removal mana value is 2.74 and average creature mana value is 3.32, which is actually a little bit high. And we should note that everything we're talking about in the crash course here is going to be commons and uncommons. We're leaving out all the rares for this episode. Right. And then in just a second, we're going to take a look at which removal hits which creatures. And so just overall, you know, for that 3.32 that you're paying on average for a creature, the average power and toughness that you're getting is 2.57 power and 2.75 toughness. So I think reasonable, like nothing's crazy here, right? This is about what we normally see. So like you're, you're essentially paying three mana for a two, three on average is what it seems like a little bit here. And the removal actually looks pretty efficient based on those numbers, you know, an average cost of 2.74 and then the average creature cost of 3.3. So you're generally getting a mana advantage on removal, but I have found that the removal just overall is either very good or very bad. Like there's not a lot in between. Right. And I think it's mostly pretty good. I think there's not a lot of removal, um, but the removal that exists is actually quite quite efficient. So looking at what stuff hits along the toughness curve, starting off with one toughness creatures, I think there's really only one card that's straight up punishes X1s, and that's Ray of Enfeeblement. This is single black for an instant at uncommon. Target creature gets minus four, minus one until end of turn. But if the creature was white, it gets minus four, minus four until end of turn instead. There's also Shambling Ghast, which is a black one drop. It's single black for a one one. And when it dies, you choose one. You can either give target creature an opponent controls minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you can make a treasure token. Yeah, and and I think look out for other ways that are going to punish X ones that aren't so you know explicit, like one ones with ETB effects, or or like shambling ass one ones that have you know death effects or tokens, you know things like that. The ways to punish X ones, but there are a whopping twenty two creatures with toughness one out of the total one hundred and one creatures that common or uncommon. So that's about a fifth of the creatures are going to have one toughness, which is a lot. Yeah. Moving on to X2s, there are 21 creatures with toughness 2, and so these removal spells are going to hit 43 out of the 101 total creatures, so they're essentially hitting 40% of the creatures. Mm -hmm. So first up, we've got Precipitous Drop. This is 2 and a black for an enchantment. When ETBs, you venture into the dungeon, and then Enchanted Creature gets minus 2, minus 2. It gets minus 5, minus 5 instead, as long as you've completed a dungeon. Uh, we've also got Burning Hands, one in a red for an instant at Uncommon to deal 2 damage to a creature or Planeswalker, but if the permanent was green, it deals 6 damage instead. And last, we've got Improvised Weaponry. This is 2 in a red Sorcery, deals 2 damage to any target, and you make a treasure token. It's always interesting, I think, seeing what the two damage or two toughness hate stuff does, how it stacks up. You know, like I think we were sort of hot and bothered about Frostbite and Kaldheim, and then it ended up not being that great. I think Lash of Malice was probably a little better, but again, still not a card that like you really needed to load up on in uh, Strixhaven. So I'll be curious to see where these end up as well. I'm not a huge fan of any of those cards. I mean, Precipitous Drop, I think, is much better than Improvised Weaponry, but I'm still not a huge fan of Precipitous Drop. And the Burning Hands, obviously, just you're always playing it, and it's insane if you play against a green player. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, they're not crazy impressive. So, And I also want to just zoom out for a second on Precipitous Drop. How much of a card do you feel like venturing is worth? I was trying to like put a number on it. 
What a great question, Ben. Is it like a third of a card, a half a card? Yeah, I think a third is probably right because I think it's it feels like it's a slightly more than a quarter, but I definitely think it's less than half a card because the effects are small. So for folks who haven't seen the dungeon cards yet, I would encourage you to look at them before you know playing. Uh, but we're not really going to read them out here. But the effects are often like scry, get a treasure, get a one one goblin. You know, not until you reach the end are you really maybe even getting large effects like you know draw a card or something. So they're they're just incremental value, and I think it'll depend on some synergies, right? So if you're maybe if you're a little bit more aggressive, then that aggressive dungeon that you know has each player lose two life unless they do something else or you know if you're more controlling i think it's just going to depend on what you're doing if you want a treasure token but i would say yeah third of a card sounds right to me that was the conclusion i came to as well so i feel feel good that we're on a similar page there yeah because we're not on the same page for most of the rest (laughs) of the set i would say (laughs) we are not (laughs) um i'm I'm surprised i really think precipitous drop is going to be great i think it's good like it's fine i'll play it and i'll pick it reasonably highly it only hits two out of five of the creatures until you complete a dungeon. I guess you're just assuming you're going to complete a dungeon. Yes. So it's killing 40% of the creatures, but it's also shrinking anything else, which is big game. And then once you complete a dungeon, it's just going to kill whatever it was already attached to. Yeah, you're right. Okay. It's better than I thought. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, you're right. It's good. All right. Moving on to X3s. We've got a couple spells here. There's Dragon's Fire. So this is one in red for an instant at common, and it effectively deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. But if you control a dragon when you cast this or reveal a dragon card from your hand when you cast it it'll deal damage equal to that creature's power instead right very flavorful so you can use that dragon's fire to like do extra damage more than three the other card we've got here that targets x3s and sort of probably is hopefully going to be used to target some x2s and x1s is magic missile Mm -hmm. this is one red red for a sorcery can't be countered and deals three damage divided as you choose among one two or three targets yeah i think that's going to be a pretty big blowout for sure Yeah, and those hit 75 out of the 101 creatures. So 75% of the creatures dying to those two cards is big game. Like Dragon's Fire is primo, primo, primo removal. Right, so there's 32 creatures with toughness, three, but then 75 total that are three or less. Moving up the chain, uh, X4s, there's actually nothing that specifically targets four toughness creatures. So we'll lump those in as we go a little bit higher. Um, But there's 16 creatures with toughness four, which brings us up to 91 creatures total. So moving on to the X5s, there's seven creatures that have toughness five. And that brings us to essentially most of the creatures, 98 out of the 101 creatures at common and uncommon. First spell we have that targets X5s or hits X5s is you hear something on watch. This is one and a white for an instant, and it's modal. You choose one. You Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn, or the mode we're interested in for removal here, you deal five damage to target attacking creature. And we've also got Farida's Fireball, which is three red red for an instant at common, deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. Then you roll a d20. If you get one through nine, it deals two damage to each player. If you get 10 through 20, it deals two damage to each opponent. And lastly, we've got Spiked Pit Trap. This is one mana for an artifact with flash, and it has five tap, sacrifice it, choose target creature, then roll a d20. On a one to a nine roll, you deal five damage to that creature. If you hit 10 to 20, it deals five damage to that creature and you get a treasure token. So moving up, we've got two creatures with toughness six and one lonely creature with toughness seven. And those can really only be got by, you know, there's a handful of just catch-all removal spells. Uh, first up here as an example, we've got Minimus Containment, two and a white for an aura, enchant non-land permanent. Enchanted permanent is a treasure artifact with tap, sack this artifact, add one man of any color, and it loses all other abilities. And then we've also got Grim Bounty, two black black sorcery, destroy target creature 
Enter a Planeswalker and make a treasure token. And then a couple other things that don't quite fall under these categories that we wanted to look at. There's Power Word Kill, which is a removal spell. One in a black instant at uncommon. Destroy target non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. And you know, when I saw this, this was one of the first cards spoiled. And I was like, oh, this is going to be like Cast Down from Dominaria, which was destroy target non-legendary creature. Or go for the throat in Mirrodin Besiege, destroy target non-artifact creature. Um, so those cards were usually like, you know, they could kill some stuff, maybe half the stuff in the set, or they couldn't kill the things you really needed to kill. And so they were sometimes worse than the common removal spells. And I thought that was going to be the same for this, but there's not that much, Ben. There's one angel and eight dragons at common or uncommon, and this kills the rest of them. Wow. So that hits the vast majority of the set, like 90% plus of things. Yeah. The other weird removal spell we've got that doesn't really fit in any of these categories is Portable Hole, and it's white for an artifact. When ETBs, you exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value two or less until Portable Hole leaves the battlefield. And this was another early previewed card that I was like, oh, this feels like a constructed plant, right? But surprisingly, there are 62 permanents with mana value two or less. It's about a third of the uh, permanents at common or uncommon. And it hits a lot of stuff like not only, you know, creatures, some sort of like creatures with good abilities, but also equipment and these enchantment classes. Ooh, I'm kind of into portable hole now. Yeah, I don't think it's I think it looks kind of junky, but I think it's actually going to be good. All right. And that takes us on to a removal analysis. So in our spreadsheet where we've graded all these cards, we also have a tab labeled removal where we've listed all of the removal spells. So you can see them there and what they do just kind of like to grok it all at once. I think it's helpful to be able to look at them. So what do we have going on in removal? So there are 19 removal spells at common or uncommon. Uh, Strixhaven had 23 as a reference. Um, so that's you know generally in the ballpark. Usually it's usually in the like you know high teens, low 20s range. As we said, the average removal cost is 2.74, and as a reference, Strixhaven was 3.6. So quite a significant decrease in the cost of the removal. And I think that's kind of often you know D this D and D set is replacing a core set, and it does feel. I don't know if you felt this looking through all the cards, but it it does feel maybe. There's a lot more text on the cards, but it feels very core set to me. I don't know. I think it feels a little more complex than a core set, a little more synergy. I'm kind of excited for it. I Well, we'll see. We'll see how the excitement uh, ranges in about a month. Uh, <laughs> in terms of the breakdown, 11 of the removal spells are at common. Strixhaven only had nine and eight of the removal spells are at uncommon. Strixhaven had 14. So a little bit of a nod towards uh, common removal spells being more prevalent, which I think is good for limited. And just a question for you here, because I'm not exactly sure because you compiled this part of the crash course. Did you, in those uncommons, did you include the cycle of color hosing removal spells? I did, yes. Yeah, and so I think those are like, some of them are very good, some of them are really only good if you're playing against the color, so worth keeping an eye on there for sure. And I didn't include, like some of the, the you know, there's a cycle of dragons that uncommon and some of them come into play and like, you know, the black one gives minus three, minus three. I didn't include that here. I went strictly for the removal spells. Right, for sure. Um, Some noteworthy things about the removal. So... As usual, red and black take the lion's share. Uh, so 10 of the 19 removal spells are in those two colors. 
white coming in hot here with two removal spells at common actually four removal spells total but two at common the one ones we talked about the one that turns a creature or turns a permanent into a treasure and the one that deals five to an attacking creature and then blue gets two claustrophobia type effects there's one at common and one at uncommon and so those were kind of the cycle of uncommons we were talking about so for example the blue uncommon is called ray of frost and it's one in a blue for an enchantment aura with flash when it enters the battlefield if enchanted creature is red tap it as long as the enchanted creature is red, it loses all abilities. And then enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So if you're playing against a red opponent, it's much better. But it can kind of, you know, be removal. Like you'll have to take a hit from the creature or tap it some other way before you put Ray of Frost on it if you're not playing against a red mage. So there's a whole cycle of these of each different color where they're very good against the color hosing color. And then, you know, kind of playable against most other colors. And then green gets two punch spells, one at common and one at uncommon. Um, so not fight, but punch. And it also gets a death touch creature at common in Underdark Basilisk, which is one under green for a one two death touch, which pairs nicely with those punch spells. Um, so that's a pretty, even though there's only 19 removal spells, it's pretty good suite, right? All the colors are getting at least two like really solid removal spells, which feels rare to me. Yeah, that seems great. And worth noting for newer players, punching means that the creature is dealing damage equal to its power to the creature that you're targeting as opposed to fighting where like both creatures deal damage to each other. So punching is much better than fighting. Uh, and then a handful of stuff that we didn't count here in terms of other interaction. There's a couple counter spells at common in blue that we didn't count. Bar the gate and you find the villain's lair. There's three bounce spells in blue as well that we didn't count, but that's more interaction. And then there's some artifact slash enchantment removal that, you know, I wanted to sort of get your, your take on here. So green's got you find a cursed idol. This is choose one, smash it, destroy it, target artifact, lift the cursed, destroy target enchantment, steal its eyes, create a treasure token and venture into the dungeon. So you get some sort of like, I could blow up a thing. But if there's nothing to blow up, I get to at least get some sort of benefit from this card. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to be willing to play these in best of one if i need a 22nd 23rd type card and then i would imagine they will be in the sideboard in best of three for me mm -hmm. yeah and then there's a you find some prisoners is another modal spell one of them being blow up an artifact in red dawnbringer cleric is another modal spell as a creature uh, one of its etb effects is destroying enchantment so you've got some modality there in terms of being able to blow up that stuff main deck and then we'll also look at uh, plummet effects like stuff that targets flyers when we get to our flying and flying hate section in just a bit so those are things that we didn't count in our removal section here but I, it looks looks pretty good the removal suite looks pretty strong here for all the colors yeah i'm kind of into it i was just looking at the whole set as a whole i was kind of down on the removal mostly i think because i was a little underwhelmed with the uncommon color hosers if you weren't playing against that specific color but mm -hmm. but i think i agree with you that it's very well balanced overall i'm kind of a little higher on the removal just in general so that takes us into where we're going to dive into you know some of the mechanics and you know what how how we expect them to play out you know how many cards there are that care about those sorts of things so first up we've got venture and there are 24 different ways to venture into the dungeon at common and uncommon and it's fairly evenly spread across all the colors, except for red, which only gets one venture card. Um, but then there's also color pairs that, you know, based on their gold uncommon, like specifically care about venturing into the dungeon. And those are black, white and blue, white. I think those are going to be the two main um, venture color pairs. 
for sure. Yeah. And then there's five cards that care about having completed a dungeon. And that's where you'll sort of want a, a strategic approach to which one you're going to start with in terms of when you start venturing into a dungeon. Um, so there's two in white, one in black, one in blue, and then one white black. The white black signpost uncommon uh, cares about having completed a dungeon. And I think that's going to be a cool thing to like build around, you know, if you if you get a bunch of these cards. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got pack tactics. So this is a mechanic basically that exists in red green. It's sort of the red green signpost mechanic. And this gives bonuses to your creatures when you attack with a total of six power or more among your creatures. Um, so there's only six total cards at common or uncommon uh, with pack tactics on them. They're all in red green, two at common, four at uncommon. And I think they're they're all pretty good. And, and you know, when we see I'm interested to hear your take here, but when we see mechanics like this, like pack tactics that care about attacking, we're about to get to a mechanic that cares about stuff dying on your turn. Those all feel like they slant pretty aggressively, right? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so, you know, I wonder if that points towards this format being on the more aggressive side. Oftentimes, core sets are on the more aggressive side. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that that plays out. And I think the other thing to look for, not only with the cards that just say pack tactics, but look for ways to easily trigger these cards. Like uh, this is a really cool one. I think Circle of the Moon Druid It's two and a green for a two four. And it has bear form. As long as it's your turn, Circle of the Moon Druid is a bear with base power and toughness for two so a nice way to be able to trigger you know if you got a two drop that has pack tactics well on turn four you're attacking with that two drop and this four two well that's going to trigger right that's going to be total six but then this also blocks quite nicely in the times where you don't want to be attacking with it as a four two Ooh, very nice i'm kind of liking pack tactics the kids are calling it tactics what do you think about that who what where are you coming up with all these terms i just saw it in the discord i thought it was clever Pactics. tactics okay sure if you, if you need to save that uh, that one syllable in your life, then sure, we can go Pactics. <laughs> so next up, we've got the sort of morbid type cards. Um, that's an old mechanic that cares about if a creature died during your turn. And that's something worth noting that all of these cards are green and black, and all of them care about things dying on your turn, which seems like, oh, yeah, things are going to die all the time. But you definitely have to make a concerted effort for them to die on your turn, right? You either need to be casting a removal spell or you need to be attacking with your creatures and putting pressure on the opponent and the opponent has to trade. Like they also can just take the damage and not trigger your stuff. So it's a little harder to get to happen than you would think if you've not played with that type of card before. Right. I remember back in OG Innistrad, there was this card, Morkrut Banshee. This is three black black for a four four. And when it enters the battlefield, if a creature died, you could give a creature minus four, minus four until end of turn. And like at the start of the format, that card was nuts it just like killed anything but then as people started to wise up about like why are people making these weird chump attacks or whatever it became easier and easier to read when your opponent wanted to trigger this and you could play around it as such so i think that'll happen as well with this mechanic yeah so there's seven of these cards in total they're all in black green two of them are common five of them are uncommon and all of them care about it happening on your turn except for grim wanderer um, it's one and a black for a five three with flash and it has cast this spell only if a creature died this turn so theoretically you know if you had an instant speed removal spell like maybe you could ambush your opponent's creature in combat with this the more likely thing is that you're going to block some things are going to die and then you'll be able to flash in a grim wanderer and put some serious pressure on the opponent next up we're going to get to the aforementioned d20 rolls there are 17 cards total that have you roll a d20 and they're mostly concentrated in blue and red there's six each there and then we've got two black two green none in white and one 
colorless. Um, and then there's a handful of cards that interact with D20 rolls. I want to point out one in particular that I'm quite excited about, which is Feywild Trickster. It says two and a blue for a two two at uncommon. And it says whenever you roll one or more dice, create a one one blue fairy dragon creature token with flying. I think this is an insane build around. Oh, yeah, that card seems super sweet. I am very hyped to roll some D20s. There's been like a lot of stuff on Twitter about like, uh, too much variance for magic. I don't know if I'm just a filthy casual or what, but I am like jazzed to roll some natural 20s. Well, for the most part, they don't feel like they're backbreaking. And maybe that's because we're mostly focusing on commons and uncommons here. But you know, they're they're like, okay, you roll a one through nine, scry one, you roll a 10 through 19, you scry two, you roll a d20, a natural 20, nat 20, as they say, you scry three, like it's not that big of a bump, you know, I agree. That's what I that's my take as well. Like it feels totally balanced to me, but it also feels super fun. Like I'm, I'm kind of into it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's see how you feel the first time someone like <laughs> blows you out with a natural 20. I'm sure you're going to feel quite differently. Oh, I'm going to be super salty. It's just <laughs> win-win for me because it's going to be awesome when I roll well, and then I'll get complaint equity when I don't. Like this mechanic was made for me. <laughs> All right, moving on to treasure. So this is concentrated in red black, and that's the color pair that cares about it the most, um, you know, based on their gold uncommon, which is Kaline Reclusive Painter. So that's black red for a one two legendary creature, human elf bard, a lot of things going on there. Um, when it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token and other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. So essentially turns all your man- your treasure mana into plus one plus one counters on creatures when you use them to cast creatures. P- pretty powerful there. So just zooming back out to big picture, uh, there's seven of these cards in black, four of them in red that make treasure, two in green, and then one red, black, and one colorless. So again, most of them in red, black. And that's the color pair where you're going to find that stuff. Yeah, and there's a couple ways to use treasure. First up is a card that just looks near and dear to my heart. It's like Sailor of Means. This is Skullport Merchant. Two and a black for a one four dwarf citizen and ETBs and makes a treasure. And you can pay one and a black to sack a creature or a treasure and draw a card. There's also Rust Monster. This is two and a red for a 2-1 first strike, official Lords of Limited preview card. Mm-hmm. You can sacrifice an artifact to give it plus two, plus O oh until end of turn. Yeah, so, and then the handful of things that care about being cast with a treasure, uh, similar to the Kalein Reclusive Painter bonus. But I don't think treasure seems that, like, big of a theme to me. I mean, you're definitely going to be doing it in red-black. It's seated pretty hard in that color pair, right? Well, there's just, like, not a lot of, so there's not a lot of good incidental ways to make treasure and there's not a lot of like insane bonuses it's just like get a plus one plus one counter or if you cast this creature with a treasure you draw a card and lose a life like there's little bonuses but it doesn't feel i don't know doesn't feel super engine to me but maybe maybe i'm missing it i'm definitely excited about it but i i'm i'm a little wary one of the cards i'm most excited about is deadly dispute and that's one and a black for an instant as an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or a creature, draw two cards and create a treasure token. So this is, t- if you have a treasure token already in existence, this is a two mana divination and then you get to replace that treasure token. If you sacrifice a treasure token, that card looks crazy powerful to me if you can get the first treasure token on the battlefield. Yeah, I- I'm really wondering if, I think I feel like red black has a lot of flavors. I think there's this treasure thing. It also has a steel and sack thing going on because there is 
uh, an active treason effect at common. And then there's, I think, like three sack outlets in black. Um, Deadly Dispute being one. The Sailor of Means card we talked about being another. And then this card, I think it's called Sepulcher Ghoul. It's a two mana, two one, where you can sack a thing to give it plus two, plus two until end of turn. But you can only do that once. So I think that exists. But then I also think there's just going to be a red-black control deck because red-black has so much removal and then gets this insane card draw spell. All of that feels very corset classic. Yes, for sure. All right, moving on to our next category, which is, you know, we're now past like the mechanic-y type stuff for the set. And these are just like big picture things that we take a look at for every set, mostly because it just helps, you know, start to form a big picture of what we might expect the set to be like or what sort of resources or types of cards might be scarce. So speaking of, we're taking a look at fixing and there is hardly any fixing going on at all. So there's treasure tokens running around, as we've alluded to in red black here. Uh, There's evolving wilds as one of the only land ways to fix that's at common yeah speaking of there's another land called temple of the dragon queen at uncommon so it's got that text similar to dragon's fire when it comes into play you can either reveal a dragon card from your hand or if you have a dragon in play already it comes into play untapped otherwise it comes into play tapped and you choose a color and then it adds a mana of the chosen color and then lastly there's you happen on a glade which is 2g for an instant you choose one search your library for two basic land cards reveal them put them in your hand then shuffle or you return a permanent card from your graveyard. So basically, the the mode that we're talking about for fixing is the first option, uh, the former rather than the latter. But again, like that's not ramping you at all. So like you could do it, but it's not the most exciting fixing in the world. Usually you want your fixing to ramp you as well. I think you happen on a glade makes me feel like, I mean, as always, green has to be like the core for a splishy splash deck but we'll often see in these core sets there's just not a lot of gold cards and the gold cards are generally in your lane like they're best in their specific color pair because they're doing the thing and they're not really like intrinsically powerful that you want to splash them so my guess is we will not be seeing a lot of splashing in this format that would be my guess as well next up we've got incidental life gain and this is sort of green white's whole deal right if we look at the uncommon signpost trellisara moon dancer is green white for a 2-2 legendary creature elf cleric whenever you gain life you put a plus plus one counter on it and scry one and there's a couple other things that care about gaining life um this is mostly concentrated in abzan right we've got five in white four in green three in black and then actually the blue black uh signpost uncommon also has some uh gain life text as well um, what do you think the best of the bunch here is? The cards I'm most excited about as far as ways to gain life. First up is Priest of Ancient Lore. It's two and a white for a 2-1. When it ETBs, you gain a life and draw a card. Love that guy. And there's also an equipment that looks super powerful to me in black. It's called a Reaper's Talisman. It's black for an artifact equipment. When equipped creature attacks, it gains death touch until end of turn. And when it attacks alone, defending player loses two life and you gain two life. And it's got an equipped cost of two. Yeah, I'm excited about that card as well. Uh, next up, we'll be looking at the sweepers. And thankfully, there really aren't a lot. So there, there's one here at rare, Sphere of Annihilation, uh, which is black and an X for an artifact. That, and it enters the battlefield with X void counters on it. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile Sphere of Annihilation, all creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it, and all creatures and planeswalker cards in graveyards with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. What would you set the over under at on number of times I had to read this card when I was trying to grade it? Probably four. It also depends how deep you were in the grading process, because I could <laughs> I could see it going upwards of six, you know, just like yeah. glazing over your pro- screen. Probably more than five, because at first I was super excited about it because I thought it was just like a static effect that was going to stay yeah, on the I battlefield. Did, I did and too. I was like, 
wait, no, you also have to exile Sphere. And then I was like, got to the part about the graveyard. So basically, this is a delayed wrath for a turn on like X or less. Right. It's not that good, honestly, because so if you think about how it plays out, I mean, it's fine. It, like it can be good. But I think you really want to think about this costing, I don't know, six or seven, honestly, before you're excited about it. Because, you know, let's say you're you play this as on turn four or something. Well, your opponent can still then just go play a four drop. And then it gets around Sphere of Annihilation. So your opponent still has the ability to play to the board after you've, you know, pseudo played your Wrath or whatever. Yeah, this card seems terrible to me. <laughs> I don't think it's terrible, but I, I agree. I think it's real bad. It's, it's clunky. <laughs> Next up, we've got Meteor Swarm, which is red, red, red X. It's a sorcery. It deals eight damage divided as you choose among X target creatures or planeswalkers. This is Primo. Yeah, that's primo. That's going to be a real feel bad. That's going to end a lot of games. Last up here, a bit of a stretch. Orcus, Prince of Undeath, which is two black red and X. So the base thing here is a four mana, five, three flying trample legendary creature demon. Uh, When it enters the battlefield, choose one. Each other creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. You lose X life or you can return up to X target creature cards for with total mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. They gain haste until end of turn. So in terms of the sweeper effect, we're looking at that first bullet point. So, you know, you can be a little bit of a, a mini sweeper for the rest of the board, depending on how much mana you have. All right, moving on to mana sinks. There are a boatload of places to put mana so there's three kind of overarching categories of mana sinks the first are the cycle of class enchantments at uncommon and rare you know those let you twice dump a reasonable amount of mana into them yeah oftentimes the third level there is you know upwards of five six seven mana in those class enchantments yeah for sure there's also equipment you know which for the aggro decks is a great place to put mana and then there's also a handful of cards that let you re- repeatedly venture into the dungeon so for example we've got ranger's hawk this is a white for a 1-1 flyer at common and but you can pay three tap it and tap another untapped creature you control to venture into the dungeon at sorcery speed um, and there's a, a few other cards to let you do this and i, I think those are going to be I'm, I'm interested to see how those shake out but i am cautiously optimistic about them yeah i think so for sure and then we, you know, we've got about a half a dozen other sinks um, with creatures. You know, there's a there's a, a white tapper, there's a blue creature. You can pay four to make it unblockable, that sort of thing. So th- there's actually quite a bit of places to put mana in this format. And the question is going to be whether with Pactics, if you're going to have time to do it or not. I'm nervous. I mean, I think. I'm, you, do you have any thoughts about speed of the format already? The equipment looks premium to me like it looks like the aggressive decks get some really 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 good equipment which scares me because equipment means it's gonna be like that the removal having premium removal is not going to stop the equipment right so you've got equipment you've got pack tactics and you've got the if a creature died this turn stuff which all points to aggressive decks so i am i'm thinking this format's gonna be on the faster side We will see. I will find out tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Lastly, we've got flying and flying hate to take a look at here. So there's 16 total creatures with flying, which is an average number of flying creatures for a set. Um, One unusual thing is it's concentrated more in straight blue white than it is Esper. Like usually we have a smattering across white, blue and black, but it's definitely mostly white and blue. So there's five in white, six in blue, two black flyers, one green, one red. Those are the uncommon dragons for each color. There's a cycle of uncommon dragons. 
and then uh, one blue red gold card. Uh, we've also got a couple things that grant flying. One is I can't believe this hasn't been used before. This is fly <laughs> single blue for an aura. Uh, enchanted creature has flying, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. And we've also got Mordekainen's polymorph. This is one and a blue for an instant until end of turn. Target creature becomes a dragon with base power and toughness four four and gains flying. So maybe a way to ambush a flyer in combat couple ways to destroy flyers we've got choose your weapon two and a green for an instant this is another modal spell one mode is the spell deals five damage to target creature with flying the other mode is double target creatures power and toughness until end of turn and then there's also just straight up plummet one and a green instant destroy target creature with flying and then quite a bit of reach in the format too yeah yeah there's four cards that have reach and one that grants it temporarily and there's uh, several cards that look like they're going to have secret reach first and foremost drider which i'm pretty excited about did you ever read like the adventures in the forgotten realms books i did not know i i loved those books when i was a kid with like drizzt jordan and all those things so driders are in those books um it's four and a black for a four three with reach an elf spider and when it deals combat damage to a player create a 2-1 black spider creature token with menace and reach so i have a feeling people are going to be attacking some 2-2 flyers into this accidentally black does not often get no not often at all there's also a couple other cards that have reach or give reach uh, ranger's longbow is a pretty sweet equipment it's one and a green for an equipment that gives plus two plus one and reach and it has an equip cost of three so pretty reasonable cost there i think for those stats i let we got to stop here because we're going to disagree about this later so we might as well argue about it now what are you <laughs> talking about this is two mana and equip three equip three is so much for just plus two plus one and reach but the reach part blocks so well i don't know i I'm think you digging. think this is elven bow from kaldheim and it is not it kind of is though right no that was a three mana thing that was just three mana for a two three with reach that died into an equipment i mean i don't think it's that good but i think it's reasonable i i don't know i think this card looks clunky and bad to me i like it all right we've also got Elterguard ranger this is four and a green for a four one with reach and when etbs you create a two two green wolf creature token and lastly, we've got Intrepid Outlander, one and a green for a two, three with reach and has pack tactics whenever it attacks. If you attack with creatures total power six or greater, you venture into the dungeon. Yeah, some pretty sweet stuff there. All right, let's let's get in. I'm, I'm ready to argue, Ben. I'm ready for you to talk me up on a <laughs> bunch up. of cards. I'm fired the, up. Uh, <laughs> the Ranger's Longbow argument got me all hot and bothered. So we'll get to our grading scale here, which uh, we do the classic, you know, limited resources, A through F scale with a couple augmentations at the end. Um, so A's are bombs, game winners, good in many situations, especially when behind, best cards in the set, bomb rares, and hyper-efficient spells. So think like Magma Opus, Lorehold Command, or Multiple Choice from Strixhaven. B's are strong cards that pull you into color, make you want to play that color, or reasons to be in a particular color or combination of color. There's some of the best commons and good uncommons. Think cards like Quandrix Apprentice, Closing Statement, Rutha Mercurial Artist. Your C's are solid playables, the meat and potatoes of a limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells. This is Silver Quill Pledge Mage, Study Break, Elemental Summoning, stuff like that. Your D's are sometimes playable, below average, 22nd, 23rd type cards. Think cards like Stonerize Spirit, Soothsayer Adept, Springmain Servant. And your F's, these are unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck, and weird rares like Secret Rendezvous, Detention Vortex, or Fervent Mastery. We've also got sideboard cards, which are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you sideboard them in can be quite good. Going a little out of favor with best of one here. I know. Um, but thinking cards like Tangle Trap or Defend the Campus. 
Uh, then we've got build around cards, and they're cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great. Think Cody Vociferous Codex or Approach of the Second Sun. And lastly, we've got synergy cards, which are cards that are not quite good enough to build around, but they provide good synergy if they're placed in the right deck. Think cards like Blood Researcher, Tenured Inkcaster, Symmetry Sage. All right, Ben, let's get right to it. Let's talk about one of these equipments. Uh, we'll start with our white cards here. And this is plus two mace, which honestly, I just kept thinking like, this can't be the name of the card, right? Never seen a, an addition sign in the title <laughs> of a card. But uh, here we are. Plus two mace is one on a white for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus two plus two, and it has an equip cost of three. So I gave it a C minus. You gave it a C plus. I have a feeling our arguments on these equipment are going to be very similar. This seems like a reasonable rate to me. This is only one more to equip than Volshock Morningstar. So how much of the Dominaria flashback stuff did you play? Uh, Like two or three drafts. So like the Jousting Lance there is, is a similar card, right? It's a two mana to cast, three to equip, and it gets plus two plus oh, and first strike as long as it's your turn. So it's a similar thing. And you know, especially with how like efficient the removal looks to me, I'm just worried about these expensive equip costs, like going like, all right, this is my turn. And then my opponent blowing me out a little bit. Maybe, but there's like a lot of cheap threats that wear equipment well, like that are one and two drops. So your your three and four drops can be putting the equipment on those cards. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but the equipment looks powerful to me. And there's a whole archetype that wants you to have equipment and play equipment mm -hmm. and can make equip costs cheaper. I don't know. I'm coming in hot on the equipment, I think. All right, great. I, I do want to talk about this next one, though, because I'm curious about these repeatable ways to venture. So what's our next card? Next up, we've got Delver's Torch, which is exact same mana cost and equip cost as plus two mace. So one of them is going to be better than the other. So it's one and a white to cast, three to equip. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one. And whenever equipped creature attacks, you venture into the dungeon. You gave us a C minus. I gave it a C plus. Yeah, same grade, same thought process. But honestly, if I have to pick two, I think I'm more excited about Delver's Torch. I'll, I'll take the hit in the power and toughness for the the potential for incremental gains on venturing and white is a color that cares about completing dungeons as well right i'm i'm also on delver's torch ahead of plus two mace i think going into the set i could see it flip-flopping depending on what happens but delver's torch looks like it meets at the intersection of a lot of things white wants to do right mm -hmm. white blue and white black both want to venture white red really wants equipment and i think green white also just is looking pretty much like a beatdown deck so this kind of does a lot of things for all the white decks yeah for sure all right this is this is going to be our first big argument here this is just more of a hot take for me so we've got priest of ancient lore <laughs> two and a white for a two one dwarf cleric when it enters the battlefield you gain a life and you draw a card i gave this a c you gave it a b minus i don't possibly know what i could tell you here like <laughs> know. you know you know how to read like yeah. this is a two one that draws a card and gains you a life it replaces itself. I think this card is bonkers, and I think it's the best white common. My hot take here is that I think this body for the rate is going to not matter enough. I just, I'm not sure that this is what white is about, and I'm not sure what th that this is what this set is about. It's about this like tiny bit of like this incremental value. I agree with you, and this could be a huge miss for me, but I feel like there are other white cards that I am more excited about than this. That's interesting to me. I also think. I'm excited about the body because I'm excited about the equipment and like a body that replaces itself. Yeah, yeah. And, and where's equipment is also super appealing to me. So again, like I think this is at the intersection of what a lot of the white decks want to do. Like it's outstanding in white green, right? Because you get the life gain trigger. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's also just a body for red, white. And then you're just, I don't think you're ever cutting this from a deck. I don't know. It's so good. Yeah, I, I think it's good. So but we'll have to see. But I, my my feeling is that I'd rather have some better rates rather than the like raw value of this card. But it's a take. And it, you could be right. We'll have to see how the set plays out. Wow. A rare card that I have graded higher than you, Ben. What's this? <laughs> This is Arborea Pegasus. You gave us a C plus. I gave us a C minus. It's three and a white for a two three flyer. When ETBs target creature gets plus one plus one and gains flying until end of turn. Yeah, I don't know. This this reminds me of you know remember our, our Holy Trinity back in I think it was M nineteen. It was like Pegasus Courser into Star Crown Stag or whatever. I think Arborea Pegasus kind of slots in there as like this this checks the boxes of what I'm looking for from a thing that costs four or more right it helps me push damage the turn it comes into play and then is going to continue to push damage turns after that okay we're, we're getting the first patented let me ask you this yeah yeah so you've given arborea pegasus a c plus and you gave priest of ancient lore a c mm-hmm. Are you telling me pack one pick one you're picking arborea pegasus over priest of ancient lore that's what I'm telling you right now. Like, it could take me two drafts before I go. Like, it could just take one casting of Priest of Ancient Lore for my opponents before I go, oh, that card's unbeatable or whatever, you know? Like, but I just, that my, my take right now is Arborea Pegasus is better. Okay. I, I, Arborea Pegasus looks clunky to me. I cannot imagine wanting to play this card, really, honestly. Like, it just doesn't have any synergy, and I don't think its body holds up enough on its own that's interesting I, like, clunky is not what comes to mind when i look at a four mana two three flyer with an aggressive etb ability but we'll have to see all right moving on to the uncommons first up we've got divine smite one and a white for an instant target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls phases out if that permanent is black you exile it instead and so for phasing refresher if it phases out you treat it and anything attached to it as though they didn't exist until their controller's next turn so i gave this a c you gave this a sideboard grade and C could be a little high, but so effectively, this is against 40% of decks. This is just exiling a permanent for two mana, which is pretty darn good. Now, it may not be the permanent you're trying to kill, but it's going to have targets. Then otherwise, it's a combat trick-ish. You attack, your opponent blocks or vice versa, and they use a trick, and then you get to use smite in response. I don't know, like... I think that the ceiling of this card does make it main deckable. Yeah, that's interesting to me. So this cycle of uncommons that color hoses are like in two camps in my head, like one, I'm willing to main deck them and two, I'm not like I, I don't anticipate putting this in my deck in best of one. Yeah, I, I think I will. I don't know how happily I will. So maybe it's a little lower, but I don't think it's that bad. This is definitely the lowest floor of all the color hosers right yes if it's not targeting the thing it's hosing it's doing a pretty small effect yeah all right next up we've got blink dog this is two and a white for a one one dog with double strike and it has teleport for three and a white um which is you know blink dog phases out yeah so i gave this a c minus you gave it a c plus yeah i think this is again i think probably the disparity in how we're valuing equipment coming into play here but i think this wears equipment super well and i am real excited about this card yeah so i mean i think just the we're going to have disagreements here, and but I'm interested because you also seem to think it's going to be a fast format. And when I think a fast format, I'm worried about, you know, playing a three mana one, one double strike and then trying to equip it, like then having to play an equipment and use the equip cost. You know, that seems like a lot of stuff to be trying to set up while my opponent is just curving out on me. Sure. Yeah. Like, I don't think this card's premium premium and i don't like it's not pulling me into white or anything but i think if i'm planning to have three four equipment in my deck i'm pretty excited about blink dog 
All right. Next up, we've got Rally Maneuver. Two and white for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus oh, and gains first strike until end of turn. Up to one other target creature gets plus oh, plus two, and gains lifelink until end of turn. I gave this a B minus. You gave this a C. I think that this card just seems like Blowout City to me. I think this is going to be very easy to be a two for one a lot of the time. And it's uncommon, and I don't think people are going to play around it that much. And also, how do you play around it? That's all fair i i have found with these cards that are white combat tricks that look like they should be two for ones just don't end up being that like what most of the time i don't know like there's been like two and a white give two creatures plus two plus two in the past or something like that right and you like it looks absurd but it's harder to have the situation happen i think than you would think especially because only one of the halves gives plus oh plus two like doesn't bump power at all Mm -hmm. i don't know i think it's fine to good i mean I, I can't imagine ever cutting it from a white deck but pulling me into white seems like a bit of a stretch that's fair all right moving on to blue we've got pixie guide first this is one on a blue for a one three with flying and it has grant an advantage if you would roll one or more dice instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll so i, I gave this a c minus right now you gave it a synergy b minus I, I think i can definitely bump it up to like synergy c plus i think i'm too low on this right now right i think i also want to meet you at Synergy C+. So we're syncing up here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's... I want to talk about this card because I've seen a lot of chatter in the Discord about this being a top blue common. And I don't think this made either of our top blue commons lists. And mostly for me, that came down to... It really only feels like it goes in one color pair, right? It really only feels like it's great in blue-red. Like, you're not happy about this card, you know, if you've got, whatever, three or four cards that care about dice rolling. Like, I think this should be the reward you get for reading that dice rolling is open. Right. Well, and it's not even, it's like a fine benefit, right? It's going to make it so you're probably getting that second bump most of the time, right? But again, as we talked about, those are pretty incremental advantages. And a two mana one three flyer, I think, is sort of out of favor these days. Like, there was a time where it was like, that's just a good rate. And I think those days are behind us. Yep. Next up, we've got Shocking Grasp. This is one and a blue for an instant. Target creature gets minus two, minus O oh until end of turn. And then you draw a card. You give us a C, I give us a D plus. Yeah, I, I like this card. I don't know. This feels like, uh, you know, the floor is sort of arcane subtraction, right? You just like gain two life and draw a card and the ceiling is a two for one. I guess you need a target to be able to cantrip with it. But I don't know. I, th- I think this, I think the first copy of this card is going to be good. And I think I'm going to pick it at a C. Yeah, I'll, I'll come up to C minus. I think it's, I'm probably a little too low on it. It's fine. All right, moving on to the uncommons. We've got Fly. So we talked about this. This is the one mana aura that gives a creature flying. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. I gave this a Synergy D+. You gave this a C. And I kind of want to go up a little higher after having like looked at what specifically Blue Black is trying to do. I think Blue Black is really interested in this card. Yeah, I think there are definitely the blue color pairs want to venture. Certainly Blue White and Blue Black will really want Fly. And I think there's also some ways to protect your creature as well. Like It mm-hmm. seems like there's a tempo-y style deck that would want to make use of this i don't think it's premium or anything but i think it's playable yeah for sure well i I guess you know we're thinking about what is venture like how much of a card if it's a third of a card like you really do have to connect a few times with this before you feel like you got your money's worth but like you said i think there are tools to maybe do that and i think this card is probably a little better than i gave it credit for initially well and i think there's also worth noting there's other creatures that want to connect that have abilities when they connect or when they attack so enabling attacks for those creatures is also very powerful right so there's a two and a blue three two um, when it deals damage to the opponent you draw a card a saboteur type effect like putting fly on that card and getting to draw and 
venture into the dungeon is like super powerful, right? If you can protect it. Or the blue two five that when it deals combat damage, you venture. So then you're double venturing on connects. That's pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on to Guild Thief. This is up next. We've got one and a blue for a 1-1 one, one Orc Rogue. When it deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one plus one counter on it. And then it has the ability three and a blue, and it can't be blocked this turn. You gave this a C minus. I gave it a C plus. This is just like a classic. What are these cards called? Sliths, right? Clunky, right? The classic clunky <laughs> card. Like you think that no. you think a two three flyer for four that has an ETV effect is clunky, and you don't think this is clunky? A two mana one one that is doing nothing until you're like either whatever. Maybe you put an equipment on it, though blue's not really an equipment deck. You're pumping four mana into this, which is a lot. But sometimes your opponent's gonna miss their two drop, and this is just gonna run away with the game too, right? This card's fine. I, I guess, but can't you like sort of say that about a lot of two drops? Like, this isn't going to run away with the game just on turn two. Unless your opponent's going no two drop, no three drop. In which case, you're winning that game anyway. Yeah. All right. Maybe C plus is high. C? Yeah, I don't know. This I think this card looks... Yeah. They, I will insult this card with the biggest insult I can think of, and that is clunky. Clunky. It's the worst thing you can call a magic card. Uh, next up, we've got Power of Persuasion. Two and a blue for a sorcery. Choose target creature and opponent controls, then roll a d20. 1 through 9, return it to its owner's hand. 10 through 19, its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. And then 20, gain control of it until the end of your next turn. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a synergy C plus. We're probably saying the same thing with different grades here would be my guess. I mean, I I think you're basically only playing this in a blue-red dice rolling deck. And I think just because the difference between 1 through 9 and 10 through 19 is so huge... Like you really want to roll 10 through 19. And if you are, that's a good card, right? Yeah. Like if you're consistently able to roll 10 through 19 and get the dice roll triggers from your other cards that care about dice rolling, I think this is going to be very good in a dice rolling deck. All right. So if we think about it like a blue, red, gold card, I guess I'm in. Last up here, we've got split the party. This is three blue, blue for a sorcery. Choose target player, return half the creatures they control to their owner's hand, rounded up. You gave this a B. I gave this a C. I am not liking this card very much. That is surprising to me. So, you know, you get to choose the creatures, right? I do understand that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. This feels like, so they've got three creatures. You return their two best to their hand. This just feels like a pretty big tempo play. And especially if this, you know, if they've got five or more and you're returning three stuff, I I don't know. I feel like this is huge. This is obviously, I don't know, this is still kind of okay if you're behind. It's not insane if you're behind. But at parity or ahead or in developing, I think this is good. That's what I was trying to evaluate it as. Would you be happy if this was three blue blue return two target creatures to their owner's hand? I don't think you would. I don't think I would, but that's not what this card is. But it is, right? Like how often does your opponent have like five or six creatures out on the battlefield? Like in a board, like it wins a board stall or something, but I don't know. Like I I think this... People are imagining, you know, like your opponent has seven creatures and you get to return four of them. Like you're in trouble if your opponent has seven creatures on the battlefield, you know? But I think the sweetest spot is they have three you get to return to. But and I agree, but I don't think that's that good of a card. Okay. Well, maybe it's maybe it's lower. Maybe it's B minus C plus. I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I could be very wrong about this. I've seen people super hyped on it in the discord, but I don't know. I'm not buying the hype. All right. Moving on to black. First up is Fane Death. Single black for an instant until end of turn target creature gains. When this creature dies, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control with a plus one plus one counter on it. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C. Yeah, this just seems like a great efficient combat trick to me, right? So if you're trading, it comes back plus one plus one counter. It's rare that we see things that have, you know, like coming back from this type of effect, the getting a bonus. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of cards that care about 
venturing into the dungeon on ETB that this works well with. I don't know. I, I could see you wanting this as a combat trick in a black deck. C might be high. Maybe it's a C minus, but I like it. It might play out as a C, but like you don't have to pick it that highly because you only want one or something. Um, yeah. So I, I could see that. Yeah, it's probably better than a D plus. Next up, we've got Shambling Gas, which is single black for a 1-1 zombie. And when it dies, you choose one. Target creature and opponent controls gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you make a treasure. You gave this a C. I gave this a D. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. And maybe it's another instance of like, you don't have to pick it like a C. But the fact that this can trade with X2s in combat, I think makes it good. Some black decks are going to care about it dying into a treasure. Some black decks are looking for sacrifice fodder to like trigger, you know, you want something to sacrifice to trigger your something died this turn life. I don't know. I think this is going to do enough in enough decks that it's going to feel, it feels like a solid role player to me. Sold. I'll go up to C minus. Wow. All right. Moving on to Harold of Adar. What do we have going on here? Four and a black for a four, four human warlock. And that's circle of death. Pay five and a black roll a <laughs> D20. Uh, one through nine. Each opponent loses two life. 10 through 19, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. Roll a nat 20, each opponent loses two life, you gain two life. Boom, create two treasure tokens. Yeah, so you really don't care about critting, but 10 through 19 is quite good. You give us a D plus, I gave this a C. I think this is like the definition of a C, right? Like it's just totally fine, right? Five mana for a 4-4, upside, gives you good mana sync. I don't know, I like this card. This feels like the definition of filler to me. That's why, again, that's why I think it's a D plus. Like I'll, I'll play it. I'm not, I don't think it's an embarrassing card, but I think it is replaceable as any other card. Yeah, you're right. Okay, D plus. <laughs> Next up, we've got a card. I found the, the class enchantments to be tough to evaluate. I don't know about you. I agree. So we've got Warlock class up first. What's going on here? This is black for an enchantment. And first class, which you get by casting it, is at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, each opponent loses one life. Level two costs one and a black, and you level up as a sorcery. So on your turn, one and a black sorcery speed. When this class becomes level two, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So it replaces itself. That's good. Mm -hmm. And then level three, six and a black. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses life equal to the life they lost this turn. And note that damage causes loss of life. So I gave this a D, you gave this a C plus. So like I said, my, I feel like my default in, if I find it hard to evaluate, I'm like, yeah, it's probably bad. But like, this the seven cost for level three feels like a lot and then the effect feels a little win more to me right they're losing life and then it's doubling that but that already means you're like connecting now maybe it'll you know enable some sort of you know kamikaze attack that lets you push a bunch of damage and then win the game maybe that's how it plays out but i, I don't know i'm a little nervous about this card that's my take is that it's threat of activation on level three that's really good so mm. This is fairly low cost, right? Because it replaces itself at level two. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to get the incidental drain value. Like, I think it just does a lot of things well for not much cost to you. Like, your opponent losing a life every time a creature dies is great. Like, sign me up for that for one mana if it's going to replace itself. And then it gives you a little card selection when it replaces itself. And then level three, I think, you know, we've talked about black green, you know, wanting things to die. This is going to force your opponent to mm -hmm. trade in combat, right? Or or risk, you know, just dying if they're letting too much damage through. I think Warlock class is good. All right. I'm up to a C. I'm sold. I'm, I'll get I'll get positive on the hype train here. Here we go, Ben. Drider. We talked about this already. Four and a black, four, three, reach. When it deals combat damage to a player, you make a two, one black spider creature token with menace and reach. I gave it a D. You gave this a C. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, there's probably some nostalgia factor there. <laughs> okay, the okay. Books I loved when I was a kid. It's not very good. I'll, I'll join you in the D territory, like D plus. 
effect. I mean, I agree that the secret reach might get people, but if your five mana four three is hitting your opponent, you're just winning anyway, right? Yeah, the card's not great. I, I, that was probably nostalgia factor there. Okay, all right. <laughs> Moving on to red. Uh, only one common here to talk about. We've got Earth Cult Elemental. This is four red red for a six six elemental, and it has when it ETBs, you roll a d twenty. On a 1 to 9 roll, each player sacks a permanent. 10 through 19, each opponent sacrifices a permanent. And 20, each opponent sacrifices two permanents. So by the time this hits the battlefield, you're probably not caring about sacking permanents because most of you can probably, you and the opponent can sack a land without much cost to you. Right. So basically, I think this is just like you get a roll of dice, which is upside in blue-red. So you mm-hmm. gave us a D, I gave us a C. Yeah, I think this just feels again like like the the black five mana four four. It feels like filler to me. Like I'll play it. It's not embarrassing if I need top end, but I don't need to prioritize it at all. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I like it a little more in blue red. Like it's probably a D plus to be honest. I don't know. Usually I'm pretty down on these expensive I know. filler cards, and I did not do that this time around for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> um, another class card here to take a look at. Uh, Again, I defaulted to low on this. Uh, Barbarian class, single red. Uh, The first level is if you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll, which I think is going to be quite good in blue-red. Level up, one and a red. Whenever you roll one or more dice, target creature you control gets plus two plus oh and gains menace until end of turn. That's quite good. And then level three is two and a red. Creatures you control have haste. I'm in on this card. I think this is good. I I gave this, what, a C minus? Yeah, and I gave it a build around B minus. I think this is just awesome in blue-red and incentivizes you to play that deck. Uh, I'm sold. I'm, I'm I'm with you. All right. Next up, we've got Critical Hit. You gave us a D. I gave us a C minus. This is a one in red instant. Target creature gains double strike until end of turn. And when you roll a nat 20, return Critical Hit from your graveyard to your hand. You gave us a D. I gave us a C minus. I could even go lower. I, this card is terrible, I think. Like 5% of the time when you roll a dice, you'll roll a 20, right? And... This has to have been in your graveyard for you to even get the benefit from that. And otherwise, this is not a good combat trick. I mean, it's a fine combat trick, right? I mean, it's going to end some games like double strike. And there are going to be some like four fours running around with equipment. I don't know. I kind of like it. The argument of this card can end many bad cards can end games, Ben. Like that doesn't mean that they're cards you want to include. I just think the fail case on this is so bad. And this only like wins you a combat when your creatures are perfectly matched up. I don't know. I'm still I'm still out on this. I don't know. Like. Is there any percent of this? Like, if this just said double strike until end of turn, you would still get this a C minus? I think I would give it the same grade. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not like paying attention to the dice rolling part of it at all. I, I think this is just a card that aggressive decks wants to end the game. All right. Okay. I could be wrong about that. Next up, we've got you find some prisoners. This is one in red for an instant. You choose one, destroy target artifact, or exile the top three cards of target opponent's library. Choose one of them until the end of your next turn. You may play that card. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast it. You give us a C. I gave us a D. Yeah, maybe it's like C minus territory, but I do like the modality here. Like we've seen a lot of equipment that I'd be happy to blow up or whatever. And then the fail case of this is just, you know, getting to gone to your opponent sort of for a turn. Yeah, I don't love the gone to your opponent part of it, but maybe I'm underrating. It's just draw, you're just drawing a spell, basically. But you can whiff, you can hit a bad card. I don't know. People build bad decks. I don't trust my <laughs> opponents in non-cube <laughs> formats to have good cards in their deck. That's fair. That's fair. 
Yeah, you know, I could go down to C minus, but I, th- I I do think I would take this over critical hit every time. I yeah, I would not. Um, do you do you think you're going to be putting that card in your deck in best of one? That's what I was trying to decide. Is it playable in best of one? I, I don't. I'm not in love with it, but maybe I'm just way underrating the second effect. You know, it can get uh, edged out for sure at C minus, but that means I have a great deck. Like you play C minuses and D pluses in your deck all the time, and this is two mana for a modal spell. Like I'm pretty happy with this if it has a target, and if not, I think I'm happy to be able to grab something and it says you may play not cast so you can hit land drops with this right right yep yeah so i think that's great all right next up we've got tiger tribe hunter what's going on there all right tiger tribe hunter is three red red for a four four with trample and it has pack tactics so when it attacks if you attacked with creatures with total power six or greater this combat you may sack another creature when you do tiger tribe hunter deals damage equal to the sacrificed creature's power to target creature so I gave this a B minus, you gave this a C. And I could be convinced that this is C plus, but this is kind of sweet in the sense of, you know, so you play this and then the turn after anything you play, like what you can attack with what you've already got in play. And then if you cast a creature pre-combat, you can sack that to like get a blocker out of the way. So it turns your creatures into removal spells. That seems pretty darn powerful to me. Yeah, I just think it's a little understated for five man the effect. Like I, I, I could meet you at C plus. I, I just don't love it. Yeah, I'll, I'll go C plus. All right, we're in the home stretch. Moving on to green. First up, we've got Dire Wolf Prowler. You give us a D plus. I gave us a C. It's two and a green for a two two, and it has the activated ability one and a green. Dire Wolf Prowler gets plus two plus two and gains haste until end of turn. Activate only once each turn. Yeah. So D plus for me, C for you. What, what what do you think about this? I don't love it. I mean, I could go down to C minus. I could meet you at D plus. Like it's it's awkward, right? You want it to be the other way around. You want it to be a one and a green two two that activates for two and a green, right? But that would probably just be way too busted. Well, there's also the awkwardness of like threat of activation versus wanting to trigger pack tactics. Yeah, like I don't know. I just don't. The understated thing makes me feel bad, and that like anti synergy makes me feel a little bad about it. I, I don't like this card very much. So here's what here's why I landed on C because I did think about this card quite a bit, and it's coming back to me now that we're talking about it a little bit. I think you're happy with five mana four four haste, right? Yeah, that's fine. It's it's good on curve on turn five. Like that's mm-hmm. a good card, and I think you're pretty unhappy like the turn you play this as a blocker. But I think after it's on the battlefield, you're pretty happy with it as a creature for everything that you said. Like you can pump it to enable pack tactics if you need to. There's also threat of activation. So it's going to be difficult to block. It's just awkward that it comes down as a three drop. But I think once you get over like it coming down as a three drop, you're going to be pretty happy with it on the battlefield. All right. Uh, I'm going to stick with D plus, but I like all of that in terms of your thought process. All right. Big, big disagreement coming up here. We've got Prosperous Ooh. Innkeeper. One in a green for a one one. When ETBs create a treasure token and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. So I said synergy B minus. You gave this a D. Yeah, this card looks bad with a capital B to me. I guess I was underrating like green white life gain. I'm assuming that's where the synergy is coming from on your part. Yeah, I mean, so it's a repeatable source of life gain. Um, and it's coming down on turn two is sweet. It's effectively a one mana one one, right? Because it makes a treasure token. Um, so you get that down the road if if you're splashing, though I think you're not splashing very often. I don't know how good the green white life gain deck is going to be because there's not that many payoffs for it 
But if you do get the payoffs, I think this is one of the premium enablers for it. That's my feeling when I looked at the color pair was that it just was not that life gainy. Like there weren't yeah. enough things going on for it to go hard on a card like this that by all other metrics just is not worth a card on stats. Yeah. So I, and I agree. I gave my grade on this before looking at like green white specifically to see what the synergies were. And I do agree that I don't think it gets there that often, but you know, maybe one in, I don't know. One in three times you draft the color pair, you get there on the high synergy version. And I think Innkeeper will be good there. Yeah. So maybe like Synergy C, Synergy C minus, something like that. Synergy C sounds good to me. All right. Moving on to the artifacts. Uh, first up, we've got Bag of Holding. This is a reprint. One mana for an artifact. Whenever you discard a card, exile that card from your graveyard. You can pay two tap, draw a card, then discard a card. And you can four tap, sack Bag of Holding, return all cards exiled with Bag of Holding to their owner's hand. So this got downshifted. Used to be a rare and is now an uncommon. You give us a C plus. I give us a B. Yeah, I think I could bump this up to like a synergy B-ish grade in terms of like putting it in a control deck. But I do think like a lot of the decks don't want this effect. Like any aggressive deck, I think don't doesn't want this card. Any deck that's like doing, I don't know, if you're if your mana sinky stuff is equipment or if your mana sinky value stuff is venturing, I think you don't want this. But I do think there will be homes for this card. Yeah, I agree. Maybe the maybe the prevalence of mana sinks means this is less mm. important like that that certainly could be the case like if you've got other places but i just remember this card being very powerful right you're essentially like given four or five turns drawing a card every turn for two mana eventually right yes so i agree it's, it's a control deck thing it's just going to depend what the decks look like in the format for sure uh, the other artifact we want to look at here is 50 feet of rope one mana for an artifact you can climb over which is just tap it to have target wall not block this turn. You can tie up three tap. Target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Or repel down, four mana tap, venture into the dungeon, activate only as a sorcery. Um, I gave this a D. You gave this a C plus. Yeah, I think this just does enough things well that you're interested in it, right? Like a three mana tapper is good. I mean, I guess it's not it's, a tapper per se. That is yeah. a lot of mana, my friend. Every turn. Yeah. And it does, yeah, and it doesn't tap the thing. And four mana venture, like dungeon map just does that better. That's a three mana mana rock that has three mana tap venture. All right, I'm less excited about 50 feet of rope. All right, moving on to multicolor. We've got two more cards here to take a look at before we get to the top commons and uncommons, which we really know that's all everybody's here for, right? <laughs> that's why we save it to the end, baby. Gretchen Titchwillow is first. This is blue-green for an 0-4, and you can pay two blue-green to draw a card, and you can put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. You gave us a B-plus, I gave us a B-minus. I mean, we're, maybe we're saying similar things here? I don't know. I, I'm so pumped about this card. Of course you are. It's spending mana to draw cards. Exactly. I mean, it's... And hit land drops. It's, it does everything. It, I mean, once you're able to double activate, you're probably pretty happy. It's going to run away with the game. I just think you're never blocking with it is the awkward part, right? Like... I mean, unless it you have to or whatever, or like, you know, you make them have it, you trade it with a trick. That's fine. Like, so sometimes it dies. That's not like, that doesn't mean this card is bad. Well, but I, I would be way more excited about it if it were a one four, like had some sort of deterrent from your opponent attacking. I think that was why I was not like super jazzed about it. I just think it, I would rather it were an enchantment that said the same thing, I think. But it can be that if you want it to be. You just like don't block with it if you don't. I, I'm not quite sure this argument you're making. <laughs> it does not hold up you're like i wish it had a, another power yeah that would be a better card well i don't want to block with it so don't block with it like <laughs> <laughs> well you're flustering me <laughs> i i think 
it also dying to removal is then like an enchantment wouldn't die to removal is what I'm trying to say. I wish it were not a creature so that it were harder to kill. I don't know. Like it's a good card. We don't need to argue about this. Yeah, I just want you to, to respect Gretchen more. That's all. <laughs> Hashtag respect Gretchen. <laughs> I can see it coming now. The other gold I'm going to take a look at is Hama Pashar Ruin Seeker. One white blue for a 2-3 room abilities of dungeons you own trigger an additional time. So I guess it's a C plus. You gave this a B. Now, the, the first time I read this, or maybe the first like six times I read this, I thought this let you progress twice. No. Right. So it just triggers a thing. So if you get a treasure, you would get two treasures. If you get a 1-1 Gabo, you get two goblin tokens. Yeah, but I think this card, that seems super powerful, right? That turns all your venture from a third of a card into two-thirds of a card right which is a very different thing yeah i don't know i feel like this this feels like a reward for being a blue white rather than a reason to be blue white and that's why i didn't put it in the b range but maybe i'm underrating the double trigger that seems like just so so much setup of like i need this in play and then i need all of my adventure stuff to happen but maybe that's just going to happen a lot i think this card's bonkers i think I, i really like this card all right sweet well here we go ben when we we were not synced up for the the card fights and we're not really synced up here for our top commons no we are not so moving on to white top commons first up in my number three slot i've got delver's torch as my hot take here uh it's the one in a white equipment that equips for three equip creature gets plus one plus one and when a quick creature attacks you venture into the dungeon could easily see that getting bumped out by the white removal spell which is not in my top commons spoiler but delver's torch is my hot take i went classic core set here and i put devoted paladin in my number three slot this is four and a white for a four four it has beacon of hope when it etbs creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain vigilance until end of turn this is just such a good curve topper in white aggro decks that it is my number two is steadfast paladin this is one and a white for a two two with lifelink yeah, that's my number two as well. And my number one is the removal spell. Minimus Containment, two and white. Aura, enchant non-land permanent. It turns that permanent into a treasure and it loses all other abilities. Yeah, I could see that being in my number three slot for sure uh, if Delver's Torch doesn't pan out as, as good as I think. But uh, my number one said it earlier and it still is. Priest of Ancient Lore, two and a white for a two one. When it ETBs, you gain a life and draw a card. Yeah, that's our, so I think that big difference is going to be one to look out for. The, the removal spell versus the two one cantripper. Moving on to the uncommons, in my number two slot, I have Plate Armor. It says two and white for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three, plus three, and has Ward one. And it has an equip cost of three, but the ability costs one less to activate for each other equipment you control. Yeah, love that card. That's my number one white uncommon. Uh, my number two white uncommon is White Dragon, four white white, four four flyer. And when it ETBs, you tap target creature and opponent opponent controls and that creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step yeah that is my number one uncommon there Ooh, nice all right moving on to blue commons in my number three slot i've got charmed sleep one blue blue for the enchantment tap enchanted creature when it etbs and enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step that is my number one i just went i went classic corset removal number one common i'm not trying to get fancy here okay I, i think this might be a little bit of a hot take here my number three is clever conjurer this is a two and a blue for a two, three gnome wizard and has mage hand. You can tap it to untap target permanent, not named clever conjurer activate only as a sorcery. I like that card. It was in consideration for my top three commons, but it didn't make the cut. It's a blue mana dork with upside. I think that I like it quite a bit. Yeah, definitely a good card. In my number two slot, I've got genie Windseer. This is three and a blue for a three, three flyer. When it ETBs, you roll a D 20. 
1 to 9, you scry 1. 10 to 19, you scry 2. And if you crit with a 20, you scry 3. That's my number two. But you got to do a Forrest Gump impression when you say it. It's got to be Jin A. <laughs> that's, that's how <laughs> is you... That, have... Is that coming to the soundboard on That pitch? is 100% coming to the soundboard, yeah. <laughs> What's your number one? <laughs> my number one is Soul Knife Spy, baby. Love me, my scroll thieves. This is two and a blue for a 3-2. When it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. This card is nuts. Yeah, definitely going to be a game warping card for sure. And your number one was? Was Charm Sleep. Charm Sleep, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Looking at uncommons, my number two is Wizard Class. We talked about this earlier as our example of the the class card, the single blue enchantment. No max hand size. Level two is draw two. And level three is whenever you draw a card, you put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. Yeah, that was my honorable mention and probably is ultimately going to end up being the number two if I had to guess. But uh, I put Aberrant Mind Sorcerer in that slot. Mm. It's four and a blue for a three, four, and when it ETBs, you choose target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard, then roll a D20. 1 through 9, you put that card on top of your library. 10 through 20, return that card to your hand. I just think this card is going to be great. You are you are jazzed about the blue-red deck. I want to roll some dice, man. You want to roll I'm, some I'm dice. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sensing that. And I think we have the same number one. That's Feywild Trickster, the build around uh, that we talked about. 2 to blue, 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you roll one or more dice, you make a 1-1 one, one flyer. Yep, very good card. All right, moving on to black. What's in your number three? I've got Yuan T. Fangblade. This is two and a black for a 2-2 with Death Touch. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. Yeah, I like that card. It did not make my top three. I gave the nod to the two drop here, Sepulcher Ghoul, one and a black, 2-1. Sack another creature, gets plus two, plus two until end of turn, but activate only once each turn. Yeah, going to be very good if Black Red Sacrifice definitely turns out to be a thing with that active treason effect. Mm-hmm. My number two, I've got Precipitous Drop, and I assume we are lined up here. Yeah. This is two and a black, Enchant Creature, when it ETBs, you venture into the dungeon, and Enchanted Creature gets minus two, minus two. It gets minus five, minus five instead, as long as you've completed a dungeon. Yep, and I think both of our number ones is Grim Bounty, two black, black, sorcery, destroy target creature or planeswalker make a treasure yeah i i am way more excited about precipitous drop after your description though i think i was way too low on it yeah i think that card's gonna be pretty sick moving on to black uncommons the number two slot i've got skullport merchant it's two and a black for a one four when it etbs you make a treasure token and for one and a black you can sack another creature or a treasure to draw a card oh wow i thought mine was like hot takey love for sailor of means putting this as my number two so i'm glad that you put that as well that is my number two and i assume we both have power word kill one and a black for an instant destroy target non-angel non-demon non-devil non-dragon creature yep that is my number one as well Moving on to the red commons in the number three slot. I've got Armory Veteran. This is one in red for a 2-2. And as long as it's equipped, it has Menace. Oh my God. We got synced up here in the second half. That's my number three. <laughs> my, my number two is Hobgoblin Captain. One in a red, 3-1 with Pack Tactics. It gains first strike until end of turn. That's also my number two. And then in the number one slot, we've both got Dragon's Fire, I'm sure. One in red for an instant. Deal three to a creature or planeswalker, and then if you control a dragon or reveal a dragon, you can do damage equal to that dragon's power instead. Yep, that's my number one. These uncommons were tough for me. I elected to go with Goblin Morningstar in my number two slot. This is one on a red for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus oh, and has trample. It has an equip cost of one on a red, and when it ETBs, you roll a d20. If you get one through nine, you make a one one red goblin creature token. But if you roll 10 through 20, you make the one one goblin creature token and attach Morningstar to it. Yeah, that was my honorable mention, and it probably should be in the number two slot, but I love me a volcanic dragon, and (laughs) red dragon is even better than that. So red dragon is 
four red red for a four four flying dragon and when etbs it deals four damage to each opponent yeah i think that's going to be a, quite a grown tester you just like feel like you stabilized and then boom you're dead uh and then i assume we have the same number one magic missile one red red sorcery can't be countered divide deal three damage divided as you choose among one two or three targets Yep, that card's great. Nice. Moving on to the green commons. In the number three slot, this was tough for me. Yeah. I choose between a few. I ended up settling on Neverwinter Dryad. That's green for the 1-1. One, one. You can pay two, sack it, search your library for a basic forest, and put it onto the battlefield tapped. I like that card a lot. I'm not sure where its best home is. Um, it does trigger the morbid stuff, which is kind of cool. It does ramp as well if you're interested in that. I went with uh, just a little aggro two drop, Noel Hunter, one and a green 2-2 two, two with pack tactics, put a plus one plus one counter on it nice uh that did not make my list the other cards that were consideration for me were the the tuna green that uh enchants a land and then the land taps for green green and it ventures when it etbs that and i think green just has like some big stuff like i i like green as just ramping into some large threats yeah it's got like a ravenous linworm right the six mana seven six etb gain three life yeah baby love that card also didn't make my top three but it's very good um, my number two slot is Spoils of the Hunt. It's 2G instant. Target creature control gets plus one, plus O oh until end of turn for each mana from a treasure that was spent to cast the spell. And then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, that is my number one. Like I said, classic corset removal number one. Uh, but I did put your number one as my number two, which is Owlbear. Three green green for a four four with trample. And it has keen senses, which is just when it ETBs, you draw a card. That's pretty sick. Yeah, that card's busted. You don't want to chain four four tramplers that replace themselves together? Of course I do. I'm not saying I don't. <laughs> All right, moving on to the uncommons. My number two slot, I've got Hunter's Mark. This is by far and away the best of the uh, color hosing cycle. Mm. This is three and a green for an instant, costs three less to cast if it targets a blue permanent you don't control, can't be countered, and target creature you control gets plus one plus one until end of turn, then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. So very main deckable against every color and then just absurd against blue decks. Yeah, for sure. I I had a really hard time with this as well. I went with Wandering Troubadour as a nod to like, wow, this is a sick way to repeatably venture so three and a green for a four two at the beginning of your end step if you had a land enter the battlefield under your control this turn venture into the dungeon yeah that was again my honorable mention so we're, we're similar here yeah uh and then in the number one slot i've got purple worm this is five gg for an eight seven costs two less to cast if a creature died this turn and has ward two that card is, is huge yeah that is also my number one green uncommon i just like it does not seem hard even if you have to do some workarounds or whatever, it does not seem that hard to have this be a five mana eight seven. This coming down on curve is going to end many games. Yes, I agree. Whew. All right, Ben, lots to cover there, lots to dive into and lots to digest before we get our hands on the set tomorrow. Yeah, I am jazzed for the set. I think there's a lot of sweet stuff. Like I said, I'm excited to roll some dice. I think the aggro decks look good. I think the equipment looks good. There's mana sinks. It seems like there's a lot of sweet stuff to do. Yeah, I'm nervous a little bit that it's going to become, especially in best of one, clear that aggro is king, but I'll I'll be on the lookout for derping around. Maybe the removal is good enough that it keeps the aggro decks in check. Yeah, we will have to wait and see. No no sense discussing now when we get to play with the cards tomorrow, and then we will just have a better idea. For sure. No need to speculate. And we'll have our big info dump episode for you next week. Yep. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you get a listen. Thank you so much to Channel Fireball 
CFBLL.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, if you want to hop in that Discord release party, you can get your six packs there. If you want to sign up for CFB Pro to read the articles that Ben and I and Alex are writing and all the other members of CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.